0: Only then, that which is nameless, comes into being.
1: This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti Podcast. Aggression is the pattern from childhood, the education, our parents and society. Those around me are aggressive, and it gives me pleasure. I accept this, and become more aggressive. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Urgency of Change. Season 3 of the Krishnamurti podcast continues with the format of carefully chosen extracts from the Philosopher's Talks. Each weekly episode focuses on a theme explored by Krishnamurti, and the aim is to represent his different approaches these universal topics. This week's theme is Aggression. Upcoming themes are Ideals, Identification and Understanding. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our official YouTube channels for hundreds of advert-free video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks and clips. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, which helps its visibility. This week's episode on aggression has four sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's sixth talk in Sanan, 1970, titled we are conditioned to be aggressive.
0: First, we will, if you will also go with the speaker, take a voyage together into this question of conditioning and find out for oneself whether the mind can ever be totally and completely be free of this conditioning. One can see, and it is fairly obvious, how superficially we are conditioned by the culture, the society, the propaganda around us, the conditioning of nationality, the conditioning of a particular religion or sect, the conditioning through education, through environmental influence. One can observe that fairly clearly and be aware of it. I think that is fairly clear and fairly simple, how most human beings, in whatever country or race they belong to, or any particular culture or religious propaganda, they are conditioned, shaped, moulded, held within that particular pattern. One can see that in oneself, and one can fairly easily put those conditionings aside. Then there are deeper conditionings, such as this aggressive attitude towards life. Aggression implies also a sense of dominance, seeking power, position, prestige. And that's much more difficult and one has to go into it very, very deeply to be completely free of that. Because it is very subtle, it takes different forms. One may think one is not aggressive, but when one has a conclusion, an opinion, an evaluation, and non-verbally, there is a sense of asserting which gradually becomes aggressive and violent. One can see this in oneself. To be aware of this conditioning of aggression. The very word that one uses, you may say it very gently, but there is a kick behind it. There is a assertive, dominance, dominant, compulsive action, which. Becomes very crude and it becomes violent. Now, that is our condition. That conditioning of aggression, whether one has derived it from the animal or one has in one's own self assertive pleasure. Have become aggressive. That one has to discover because that's part of our condition. Is one aggressive in that total sense of that word? Aggressive, that word means stepping forward. And one of our conditionings is comparison, comparing. Not only with what you think is noble, or a hero, or a memory, comparing secretly within yourself with what you would like to be and what you are the comparative assertive a pursuit is also a condition And again this is extraordinarily subtle. I compare myself to somebody who is a little more bright, little more intelligent, little more physically beautiful, regular features and all the rest of it, secretly or openly. This constant comparative inquiry, soliloquy, talking to oneself. Because where there is comparison, please observe this in yourself where there is comparison, there is not only assertion. a form of aggression, but also the feeling of achievement, and therefore in that there is a frustration. When you can't achieve, there is a sense of frustration, and a feeling of inferiority. I hope you are doing this as we go along. There is not only the aggressive conditioning, but also from childhood. All our education, all our educational system is based on this. Compare. getting more marks, examinations, comparing yourself with somebody who is much cleverer. The battle goes on. And in that comparison there is envy, jealousy, and all the conflict involved in that.
1: The second extract is from the fourth question and answer meeting in Ohi, 1980, titled, The Pattern of Aggression. Why
0: do we, each one of us, live the way we are doing? Taking drugs, pot, drinking, smoking, Pursuing pleasure and aggression. Why? You understand? Why? Why are we like this? Please sir, go into it. Why are we aggressive? The whole society in which we live, in this society of the West. Aggression is one of the most important things, and competition, they both go together. Why? You can see in the animals how aggressive they are in mating, in certain seasons. They don't compete, do they? I, you know, when a lion has killed some, well, a zebra, other lions share it. You have seen them in television and so on. But apparently with us, aggression is the most deep-rooted thing and competition. Why are we like this? Is it the fault of the society? Our education? But our, the society is what we have made of it. So don't say, society, blame the society for this or some education but apparently we are deeply aggressive and competitive. And if you are not competitive, if you are not aggressive, you in this society you are trodden down. Right? You are discarded. You look down upon. Why are we aggressive? Go on, sir, examine it. Is it that this emphasis on individual freedom, you understand, individual freedom, and that freedom demands that he must express himself at any cost? Is that it? especially in this country, in the West, this sense of freedom, you know. If you have um, an instinct to do something, if you want to do something, do it. Don't restrain. (laughs) Don't examine it. It doesn't matter. You must, if you have this feeling, act. You can see what aggression does. Right? You are aggressive, I am aggressive for the same job, for the same this, that, the other. And so we are fighting each other all along the way. Right? Both psychologically and physically. And we carry on. That's part of a pattern, part of our social education. And to break that pattern, hmm, we say we must exercise our will. Right? Which is another ex- aggression. I don't know if you follow this. Right? Right? I'm following this, sir. When I exercise my will, will is another form of "I must." You understand? That's another form of aggression. So, can you have any insight, right, into this, into aggression? You've understood my question. Or is it too difficult? You understand my question, sir? That is, I am aggressive. Thank God I am not, I have never been, I don't want to be. Suppose I am aggressive and that is the pattern from childhood, that is the education, the mother, the father, and the society, the boys around me, hmm, are all aggressive. And I see, and I like that, it gives me pleasure. And I accept it, and I also become aggressive. Right? And I, then as I grow up, somebody shows me the nature of aggression, what it does in society. how competition is destroying human beings. It is not only the speaker is saying this, scientists are beginning to say this. So perhaps you will accept the scientists. So you explain it very carefully, all the reason, the cause, and the destructive nature of competition, which is to compare always comparing. You understand? Now, a mind that doesn't compare at all, you understand, is a totally different kind of mind. It has got much more vitality. So one explains all this, and yet we go on. Being aggressive, competitive, comparing ourselves with somebody, always something much greater, not with the poorer, but always something greater. So there is this pattern established, this card, this framework, and in which the mind is caught. And listening to it, you say, "I must get out of it. I must do something about it." which is what another form of aggression. You understand? I wonder if you see that. So can can we have an insight into aggression? You follow? Not explanations, not the remembrance of all the implications of it and so on and so on, which is constant examination, then coming to a conclusion and acting according to that conclusion. That is not insight. Whereas if you have immediate insight into it, you see, Then you have broken the whole pattern of aggression.
1: The third extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Rajgat, 1967, titled, Looking at Aggression as it is.
0: You know, as one observes in the world, not only in this country, but also in Europe, in America, Russia and China, One sees that there is growing more and more violence, (coughs) not only (coughs) among the individual lives, but also among the collective. They seem to get violent over such trivial things, like in this country. They are violent about language, regional language. And they are violent in other parts of the world over war, destruction, (coughs) revolt, like in America, the black against the white, and so on. There is general tendency towards anarchy, disruption, destruction, and there is more and more aggression. And as one sees this happening, one asks oneself why, what are the causes of this terrible Destructive, brutal violence right through the world. I wonder if you have asked yourself that question why? Or do you accept it as inevitable, as part of life? Because each one of us in our private life. We are also violent. We get angry. We don't like people to criticize us. We won't brook any interference with our own particular little lives. We, We are very defensive and therefore aggressive when we. Hold on to our particular form of belief and dogma. When we worship our particular little nationality with a rag that is called the flag. So, individually, in our private, secret life, We are aggressive, we are violent, and also outwardly. (coughs) In our relationship with others, when we are ambitious, greedy, acquisitive, we are also outwardly, collectively aggressive, violent, destructive. I wonder why? This is happening not only during this present period in history but also it has happened in the past. There have been so many wars, so many disruptive, destructive forces let loose on the world. Why? What is the reason of it? Not that the cause and the reason of it will ever free the mind from violence, but it is right to inquire into why human beings throughout the ages have been so violent, brutal, aggressive, cruel, destructive, destroying their own species. If you ask why, what do you think is the reason of it? Bearing in mind that explanations, conclusions do not in any way remove violence. We'll, we'll go into the the freedom from violence. But first we must inquire why these violent reactions exist. I think one of the reasons is the instinct which we have inherited throughout the ages, which is derived from the animals. You have seen those dogs fighting over a little bone, the stronger fighting the weaker. The animals are aggressive, violent in nature, and as we human beings have evolved from that, we have also inherited this sense of aggression, violence, hatred. Which, which exists when we are, terri- when we have territorial rights, rights over piece of land, or sexual rights, like in the animal. So that's one of the causes. Then the other cause, Another cause is environment, the society in which we live, the culture in which we have been brought up, the education which we have had. We are compelled by the society in which we live to be aggressive. Each man is fighting for himself. Each man wanting a position, power, prestige, He's concerned about himself, though he may be concerned with the family, with the group, with the nation and so on, but essentially he is concerned with himself through the family, through the nation, through the group and so on, but always himself the first. So, The society in which we live is one of the contributory causes of this violence. That is, the behaviour which society imposes on us. That we, in order to survive at all, as it is said, you must be aggressive, you must fight, And environment has an extraordinary importance in this, with this, with this cause of violence. And the society is the product of every human being. We have produced this society. And the other cause, another of these causes, is overpopulation. Right through the world this is becoming more and more a problem, especially in this country. And more and more people are inhabiting the world, they must have, all of them demand a position, more food, more clothes, more shelter, and so they are going to fight. And they are going to fight much more when we live in big towns. when the towns are overcrowded, when there is no space between human beings. You know, that's one of the most extraordinary things, that more and more we have become sophisticated, more and more we become so-called civilised, the less space we have go down to any of those streets in Benares or in Rome or in London or in New York, see how crowded it is, these flats one lives in, hardly having any space between human beings. And they have experimented putting thousands of rats in a little space. And when they do that, the the rats lose all sense of proportion, value. The mothers with their little babies neglect the babies. Violence grows more, disorder. So that's also the lack of space is one of the contributory causes of this extraordinary violence. And also, I think the major cause of violence is each one psychologically, inwardly, seeking security, psychologically. To him the psychological security, the inward sense of being safe. Secure, projects the demand, the outward demand to be secure. So inwardly he wants to be secure, sure, sooth. That's why they have all these marriage laws, to possess a woman or a man to be secure in their relationship. And if you attack that relationship they become violent, which is the psychological demand, the inward demand to be certain of his relationship to everything, and there is no such thing as Certainty, security in any relationship. We would like it to be psychologically, inwardly, but there isn't such thing as permanent security. Your wife, your husband may turn against you, your property may be taken away from you through a revolution. So, all these are the contributed causes of this violence that is prevalent rampaging throughout the world. I think anybody who has observed and perhaps read a little of what is going on in the world and especially in this unfortunate country, can observe, find out for himself without a great deal of intellectual study. One can observe in oneself, which is projected outwardly, the causes. Of this extraordinary brutality, callousness, indifference, violence. Now, those are the explanations, we can have more or less explanation, more detailed explanations. But these are the one of some of the major factors that have brought about this enormous, destructive, cruel relationship between man and man. So, then what shall we do? Having more or less established the causes of violence, both inwardly, as well as outwardly, then the problem arises, how do we free the mind from violence? We were talking the other day to a very prominent ah, politician, and God save the world from politicians, and. He was saying that violence is necessary, that's part of life. When a government official accepts as the norm violence, then something is radically wrong because the world needs peace, not violence. Man must be peaceful, it is only through peace he can find out what is true, what is beauty, what is love. Not through violence you can never find out what love is. You can never find out without peace, what beauty is. So to accept violence as part of daily bread is the most pervert way of thinking. If you accept violence, and that word needs a great deal of explanation too, because we think violence is just burning a house by uh, crazy people, fighting the policemen, marching up a whole mob of people saying you shall not, you must, Oh, war, we call that violence. But violence is much more subtle than that. When, for example, you compare yourself with another, that's part of violence. That is, when you are imitating or trying to surpass another, which is competitiveness, that's part of violence. And the the whole uh, social and religious structure is based on this principle of comparison, measuring yourself against another. and so competing with another, and that's part of, this, part of this violence. And it's also part of violence when you suppress your desires, which doesn't mean you must indulge in your desires, when you imitate, conform to a pattern whether the pattern be established by society or by oneself. When you are imitating, conforming, controlling, disciplining, forcing yourself, that's also part of violence. When you obey, that's also part of violence. And most human beings are trained to obey. Oh, This whole Indian structure, Hindu or Muslim or <coughs> Catholic or what you will, this religious structure is based on obedience, acceptance, authority. All that's part of violence. So, violence to what? You understand my question? I am being violent against what? Against <clears> this <throat> society which becomes the revolt, that's one part, kind of violence. Then there is the violence of obedience. I don't know, but you know. You become my authority, and I follow you. Please do go into this with, in yourselves, not just me he- hear what the speaker is saying. Go into, find out. Is it not a kind of violence when you set up another? It doesn't matter who it is your guru, your teacher, your saviour, whoever it is. When you accept him as your authority, inevitably you must be violent. Why? Why do you become violent when you accept authority? Because there are other kinds of authorities. Dozens of authorities. So your authority is much greater than somebody else. And so on. So you have to find out why, in accepting any kind of authority, whether it is a social authority or The spiritual authority of a guru, of a book, why does that breed violence? (coughs) And it has throughout the world. Why? When you accept the authority of the Gita... And the other accepts the authority of the Quran, another the Bible or Jesus, whoever it is. Why does that cause violence? What is violence? It is division. Mean that division between people. <coughs> When you accept the authority of the Gita and I accept the authority of the Quran, you and I are bound to be separated by our beliefs, by our dogmas. So any form of separativeness, division breeds violence. I hold to my book, to my authority, and you hold to yours. Superficially we may tolerate each other, we might live in the same street together, or go to the office together, but inwardly we are separate. Inwardly there is a division between you and me. You, the Hindu, and I, the Muslim, the Christian, the Buddhist, the Communist, what you will. So essentially this division brought about through belief, through authority, through psychological exclusiveness, does breed violence, because this division… Not only breeds violence, it must exclude every form of affection and love. Please observe it in your own hearts, not listen merely to the speaker. Look how you regard somebody who is not of the same culture, the same way of looking at things who who thinks who when you think you are slightly superior to somebody else which is when there is prejudice there is division. And prejudice is the most stupid form of thought, of living. So What is one to do? Knowing we human beings are violent, are separative, those are facts, not ideas, not theories, but they are actual daily facts. What is one to do? Outwardly, There must be one universal language, outwardly, you understand? One government planning for the whole of the world, not for little separate countries, India or China or Russia or America, planning for itself, because that always breeds division, economic, social. Class division. So outwardly one language, not Hindi or English, one universal language. Then a whole planning. Outward. Not state or government planning, but for the whole of mankind. And inwardly, which becomes much more interesting, much more vital, much more demanding. How is a human being—that's you—is to be free of this violence? You know, they have tried every way. Because when they monk, the sannyasi renounces the world, he hopes to renounce not only the worldly things but also all the brutalities of life, but he doesn't. You cannot escape from violence by repeating some mantra and all the rest of it. You cannot possibly escape from the fact of anything. Right? I cannot possibly escape from what I am actually. I can invent a series of networks of escapes, but those escapes will inevitably become extraordinarily important and therefore separative and therefore the product of violence. So the first thing is not to escape from the fact. Do please listen to this, not to escape from the fact that I am violent. Therefore non-violence has no place whatsoever. That is a romantic, idealistic formula, right? So all ideation, all ideologies… What should be the opposite is romantic and not factual, therefore one must completely put away all ideal. Right? Can we do that? Because if you are… Thinking in terms of non-violence, that is which most of us are. Being violent, we say, I must not be violent. The must not breeds a pattern of not being violent, the ideal. But the fact is you are violent. So why bother with the romantic, idiotic ideals? So can you then deal with the fact and not with the the escapes? You understand, sir? First, as we said, outwardly there must be order. And there cannot be order if there is not a universal language planning for the whole of mankind, which means the ending of all nationalities outwardly and inwardly freeing the mind from all escapes so that it faces the fact of what is. Right? Can I look at violence and not say, I must not be violent? or condemn it, or justify it, but just to look at the fact of my being violent. So that brings a very important question, I think perhaps the crucial question. What it is to look? what it is to listen, because if I do not know how to look, then I am bound to escape, I am bound to condemn or justify. It is because I do not know how to look at anything, I begin to condemn it, I begin to judge it, I say this is right, this is wrong, this must not be, this should be. So I must first learn how to look. Not only objectively, outwardly, but also inwardly I must look. You understand? Look at a tree. Please, this is very important. You may have heard the speaker say this often. But really, to really look at a tree is one of the most difficult things to look at something. One can look at a tree because it is objective, away from the centre, there. When you look at that tree, how do you look at it? Do you look at it with your mind, or do you look at it with your eyes, or do you look at it with your eyes plus the mind? You are following all this? Huh? Most of us look, if you, if you ever looked at a tree, which I am afraid most of us have not, we are too occupied with our own little selves and worries and all the rest of the ugliness. Mm? If we do look at the tree, we not only visually see it with the eyes, but also that tree evokes certain memories, certain associations. I look at that tree and say, that's a tamarind. When I say that it is a tamarind, or a mimosa, or whatever it is, I have already stopped looking. When I classify a tree, I have stopped looking. Do observe it yourself, because my mind is already distracted by saying that is a tamarind. Whereas to look at a tree I must give complete attention to the look. So, to look is only possible when there is no, when thought in no way interferes with the look. That is, thought which is memory, experience, knowledge. And when all that comes in, it is interfering from looking, which means attentive. Now, it's fairly easy to look at a tree because it's something outside, but you look at oneself surely what one is to look at this violence without any condemnation justification explanation just to look at it because to look demands to look you must have plenty of energy Now look what is happening here. The speaker is saying something to you. To listen, to find, to to listen, you have to give your whole attention. To find out exactly what he's saying, you must give attention. But if you are taking notes, if you are looking at somebody else, if you are tired, if you are sleepy, if you are yawning, scratching, you know, agreeing, disagreeing, then you are not giving complete attention. So to listen to the bird, to that train that is going over that bridge. to listen to the movement of the wind in the leaves, not casually, but to listen to it, you must have tremendous energy which can only come into being when there is no explanation, when thought doesn't say, this tree is trees pleasant, that noise of that train is interfering with my listening and so on, so on, so on. so can i and can you look at this violence whose cause we we have explained somewhat can i look at that violence without any justification don't condemn it can i look at it as it is What takes place when you give your complete attention to look at the thing that we call violence, violence being not only the thing that separates human beings through belief, through conditioning and so on and so on, but also… The violence that comes into being when we are seeking personal security or the security of, pers- of individuality through a pattern of society and so on, so on. Can I look at all, can I look at that violence Com- with complete attention? You know, when you look at that violence with complete attention, what takes place? When you give complete attention to anything, when you are learning history, mathematics, or looking at your wife or husband completely, with total attention, what takes place? I do not know if you have gone into it. Probably most of us have never given complete attention to anything. But when you do, what takes place? So what is attention? Surely when you are giving complete attention there is care. And you cannot care if you have no affection, no love. And when you give attention in which there is love, is there violence? You are following? Before I have condemned violence. I have escaped from it, I have justified it, <coughs> I have said it is natural, <coughs> which are all inattention. <coughs> but when I give attention to what I have called a violence, and in that attention there is care, love, affection. Where is there space for violence? (coughs) So it is important when we are going into this question of violence (coughs) to understand very deeply What is attention? Attention is not concentration. Concentration is the most stupid way of dealing with anything. (coughs) When a schoolboy or a girl (coughs) wants to is forced, rather, to concentrate on the book when he wants to look out of the window. What takes place? You want to look out of the window and the teacher says, look at the book, concentrate. What takes place? There is a conflict, isn't there? You want to look at the beauty or you want to casually look at the tree or who is going by, or watch that bird sitting there cleaning itself, preening itself. And at the same time you feel you must look at the book. So what takes place? There is conflict, isn't there? You want to see there and at the same time you want to look (coughs) at the book. In that conflict you are neither looking at the book nor looking at the tree. Whereas if you were really attentive, huh, then you would be attentive both to everything, to the colour, to the people sitting next to you, what they are doing, what, how they are scratching their head, taking notes, not paying attention, you know, you would be aware of everything. So violence is not to be fought against is not to be suppressed, not to be transcended, transmuted, gone above and beyond. (laughs) Violence is to be looked at, and when you look at something with care, with attention you begin to see, you begin to understand, and therefore there is no place for violence at all. It's only the inattentive, the thoughtless persons who are prejudiced that are violent. So the stupid are violent, not the man who is attentive, who who looks, cares, has love. Then there is no place for violence, either in gesture or in word or in action.
1: The final extract in this episode is from the fourth talk in New York, 1974, titled Intelligence is Above and Beyond Aggression.
0: And if you would understand what meditation is, the mind must be totally free from all violence and aggression. Are you following all this? As I said, as the speaker said, this is a very serious matter. And if you don't want to listen to it, don't. But you should know something of all this. It is good for you to know this. We are educated in violence. Our ways of life, all our activity is a form of violence. We are geared to war, and war is very profitable. And we are educated to kill. Kill not only the poor animals for our food, but also kill your neighbours, in the name of God, in the name of peace, in the name of your country, in the name of your bank account. And it is part of our tradition both religiously, economically and socially. The competition of the priest to become a bishop, climb the ladder, the hierarchical ladder of spiritual whatever it is. And we are also aggressive We think it is necessary to be aggressive in order to progress. That word progress at one time meant to enter the enemy country fully armed. I hope you appreciate the meaning of that word. and. Aggression was a form of security. The animals, if you have observed them, are very aggressive amongst themselves. They're the top dog. So there is in us not only aggression, but violence. And we deem it necessary. intelligence is above and beyond violence and aggression. That intelligence comes when one understands the full nature and the structure of violence outwardly and inwardly with all its aggression. Then in that understanding flowers intelligence that intelligence can operate in our daily life and therefore there needs to be no violence at all because intelligence is not an intellectual thing intelligence comes into being when man is whole when he is acting totally with all his being, when he is not fragmented, when his actions are not contradictory, and when he is aware of his contradictions choicelessly, then out of that awareness comes this, this sensitive, pliable, rich intelligence which will operate in our daily life, which will give us deep, abiding security, which violence and aggression cannot. So a mind that is inquiring into meditation must be free of violence, and aggression. And that arises a question which is, where do you draw the line between intelligence and violence? You kill animals to eat. And the animals are becoming rather expensive because they need a great deal of part of the land. And so gradually you're being forced to become vegetarians of necessity. Some writer some time ago wrote an article in this country saying vegetarianism is spreading like some awful disease in this beautiful land. So where do you draw the line? You put on shoes of leather. You pay, you support war when you buy a stamp. When you pay your tax, where do you draw the line between the least killing, the least violence, and aggression, and that intelligence that's that is not involved in violence, in killing. When that intelligence operates, there is no lying. It will operate intelligently when the problem is put before you.